Today, um, I want to bring to a conclusion the short series we did about the Holy Spirit. Um, we, in doing it, what I was wanting to do was to remind ourselves about some of the surprising ways that the Spirit is involved in our lives. Um, the invitation to this life with God. And I think, interestingly, as we were speaking about Val uh, and Val's situation, the reminder it is to us, I think one of the ongoing uh, temptations for Christians is that you begin with a, you begin your Christian life with a sense of this God who does intervene, the God who does act, the God who is there. But actually, very easily and un- imperceptibly, it becomes a moment where you think, actually, it's just about me doing the stuff. And the Spirit um, kind of is there intellectually, but actually, the, the lived experience of the Spirit is less than you might have hoped for. And from the beginning of the Bible, and, and it's been important for me in my thinking, that from the moment the Bible begins, you've got the Spirit overseeing, hovering over the whole of creation. There's no area of this world that the Spirit is not saying, let's bring this to God, let's bring the presence of God into this. All the way through to that final verses of the Bible where the, the invitation is to you that are thirsty, to you that are hungry, come. The Spirit says, Come. Come and receive. Because actually what the Spirit is doing, and and as we've been doing it, looking at it, what the Spirit of God is wanting to do is to do that work of recreation all the time, permanently, reframing, recreating, refilling, making us into people who carry the presence of God wherever we go. What I want to look at this morning is the way that the Spirit enables us to change. Um... The way the Spirit enables us to change. Do you ever get so cheesed off with yourself? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure from time to time you get sort of cheesed off with everybody else. But actually, do you ever get so frustrated with yourself? <laughs> Funny you should say that, Mary. Um, <laughs> but frustrated with yourself. Just that frustration with, oh, God, why? Why can I not actually be any different? And, and I think one of the things that the Spirit is wanting to do is actually do that work of wrestling with us, cheering us on, championing us, wanting us actually to come in to change. And that's what I want to think about for a few minutes this morning. Uh, the scripture we're going to be looking at is in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. So if you want to turn to that, 1 Corinthians 2. And it's Paul writing to the church of Corinth. Um, and it's verse 6 that we're going to begin and just read through to the end of that chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 6. And Paul's explaining to the church of Corinth just how he, what he thinks he's up to really. And this is what he says. We, however... Speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it's written, what no no eye has seen, no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived these things God has prepared for those who love him for God has revealed them to us by his spirit 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit within? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we've not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and they can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who's known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I want to alight on that from time to time. What's Paul saying the Spirit is doing? Well, let's put the first slide up. The first thing Paul says is that the Spirit is at work in you so that you would understand. It's verse, uh, verse 12 that you may understand what God has freely given us. One of the workings of the Spirit is to keep on reminding you and working in you about all that God has given us. And throughout the New Testament, the time and time again, the writers will say, God has given you all things, Peter says, all things necessary for life and godliness. God has actually made all of this possible for us. It's not you somehow sort of trying to move upon this celestial ladder where you get better and better and better. But actually, God has laid it all out for you. And the Spirit is saying, here it is. Come and take all that I've offered you. You were saved by grace. You didn't do anything that made you acceptable to God. There was nothing that you brought to God that he was impressed with. There was just that sense of him loving you and through Jesus finding you acceptable and bringing you into the kingdom. We've been saved by grace. And that's really good news because some of you, some of us, were really broken up when we first met Jesus. And to be honest, if somebody had said, could you just tie yourself up a bit and get yourself cleaned up and then you'd be acceptable, we would have gone, no, we can't. There's nothing we could do about that situation. But in the same way as you were saved by grace, initially you are going on being saved by grace. It's not now you get in by sort of saying, God, I've got nothing to offer, I'm yours. And then suddenly it becomes like, now I'll really work hard. But actually, as you are saved by grace, so you continue to be saved by grace. God has, and that word saved is a, a word that can be devalued, but it's a rich word. Because God actually has rescued us. You want a picture of what it looks like? It's this. This is the bankrupt life that God saved us from. Has all it clearly, it clearly is a house. It has all the vestiges of a house. Has doors and windows. Has most of a roof. But it's actually broken. It's derelict. It's bankrupt. And it's not just in our lives, but in the world around. That's what. The Bible suggests life's like without God. Looks okay, but actually it's lost all the life and the vigor. It's a shadow of what it should be. 
And it's the place of death. The D's where we deny there's nothing wrong. Some people just say there's nothing wrong. It's going to be fine. Or for other people, it's the big drama. Everything's wrong. It's just a catastrophe. And But either way, there's nothing we can do here. It's either denial or a drama. It's where we defend ourselves and we get hypersensitive and we're always watching to be hurt. Or we damage other people by wanting revenge. Or we despair. Nothing will change. Or we deflect and say, well, it's not my fault I'm in this situation. And that's the house that we have been saved out of. Now, not all of those six things, which are fairly depressing things for all of us, but actually I think that for most of us we find ourselves, actually, that would be one of the areas that we would tend to slip back to. Because actually that's the way we framed our life before we knew Jesus. And when sin comes, when temptation comes, we, we get drawn back to that moment. And we kind of almost go back and live in that old house again, trying to make the best of it. But, but dealing with that sort of response to the world around us. But in Christ, God through Christ brought us into a new life, a life of restoration. He kind of takes a battered, beaten old house and recreates it into a life that is able to be what it was designed to be at the beginning. A house that you could live in and thrive in. When, Peter, when Paul speaks to Timothy, he says the spirit that God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It enables us to live this life. The Spirit himself is wanting to do that work in me. Because I know the temptation to slip back into, and I'll go back to it, that house. With my default mode. And some of that default mode will be because of the way you've been brought up. Or because of the experiences that have happened to you. Because of your natural personality or and the, the, the ways you've found to defend yourself. But actually the Spirit invites us to live in this new life. A life of power, love, and self-discipline. The first thing then that Paul says the Spirit has done is that we may understand what God has freely given us. You don't need to live in the old house. The second thing that Paul says that the Spirit has done is he's enabled us to speak in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Verse 13. And what he's doing all the time in Corinth, he's wanting to remind the church about what's really happening. How is the world really about? It's that kind of like, you know, in some church, we talk sometimes about revelation. We, we had a revelation. And a revelation is that sort of like something that comes from outside of ourselves. And suddenly it's like, ah, oh, I see everything differently now. But if you look at the word revelation itself, it's like it comes from that same root of word to reveal something. To reveal what's actually there. You look at it in the New Testament. So you have the book of Revelation. What's the book of Revelation saying? 
is actually pulling back the curtain and saying, that's what life's really like, where Jesus is king. What does God want to do with you and I? The spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words, wants to peel back and say, that's the true reality. That's what life's really like. The greatest truth, the New Testament tells us, that the spirit wants to do is help you say, enable you to say, Abba, Father. Now, many of you will know, but that word Abba was the family word for your father. And the writers say what God wants you to be able to do, because the big change point will happen for you when you realize that you're beloved, that actually he's your Abba father. And it's the spirit that makes you know, actually, I belong here. I'm God's. And I'm loved. It's the spirit who draws back and says, but this is what Jesus really thinks of you. There's a writer called Brennan Manning who uh, has died now, but he was an alcoholic. He was a priest, a Catholic priest initially, and then came out of that, uh, as a, a be, stopped being a priest. Um, but all through his life, he was an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, and sometimes a, a lapsed recovering alcoholic. He, he slipped back into it. It was a real big issue for him. And his life itself was both a demonstration and a struggle with the sense of the grace of God. Because he knew, perhaps more than anybody, I've got nothing I can really offer of any consistency. Will God still love me? And for him, his life message became this, actually, that the gospel comes to ragamuffins like us. To people who don't have it all together. People who can't be as consistent as we wished we were. People whose best efforts always let us down. He wrote this. The Spirit he will want to say, reminds us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Son of David and the Son of Mary. He's the Word made flesh, the incarnation of the compassion of the Father. He is Messiah, Saviour, dreamer and storyteller, servant, friend and parable of God, close to the brokenhearted. He speaks words of comfort. He revives the crushed in spirit with words of consolation. Rescuing drunks, scallywags, and ragamuffins. He's the shepherd who feeds, leads, and searches out. He is prophet, poet, and troublemaker. The scourge of hypocrites and authority figures who use religion to control others, sending them sagging under great burdens of regulations, watching them stumble and refusing to offer assistance. This is Jesus. And for some of us this morning, I suspect that if the Spirit was able to say one thing that would make a massive difference, it would be that the Father is your Abba Father. Spiritual truths and spiritual words that come from the Spirit.
And then Paul finally, he signs off this chapter with a remarkable, remarkable verse. He says, you have, we have the mind of Christ. He's talking about how the Spirit is at work within us. And the Spirit is framing our reactions, the way we speak, the way we think, into the way of Jesus. We have the mind of Christ. Always the Spirit is going to bring us to a way of living that is Jesus-shaped. But again, all the way through the New Testament, the New Testament is very clear. The place where that actually begins is in your mind, that your mind might be renewed by the, uh, that you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That actually it's in your mind, that sort of sense of where's the, where's the motivation, where's my reactions, how do I think about myself, how do I think about other people, how do I think about the situations I find myself in. And the Spirit is saying, actually, I want to create the mind of Christ. Now that, on one level, sounds ridiculous. Sounds preposterous. But actually, if we're living in this new building, the building that God is wanting to repair, renew, transform, glorify, then actually, he's wanting your mind to change. Because for most of us, that's where the problem is. That's where the patterns of behavior come from. That's where the circular thoughts chase themselves round. Both towards sin, clear, obvious sin, but actually the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about our future and the way we think about everybody else. It's actually the mind. It's our mind that torments often. And it's, Paul's not suggesting here that what you're going to do is fight with your mind. But he's actually saying the Spirit wants to recreate. The Spirit is actually wanting to give us the mind of Christ. The thoughts, the responses at home, in work, in private. That the reactions and the relationships we've damaged might be different. Because actually the way we think is different. This is what the Spirit is committed to in you and in me. That's what the Spirit wants to do. This is what changing about, learning to live into this new reality. So what does, how does the Spirit enable us to change? Well, the bad news is the Spirit doesn't say, come to the front of a church, get prayed for, and you will change. That would be lovely. But the Spirit actually begins a work and says, live into this new reality. Learn what it means to live as the children of God. Learn what it means to live together in different ways. One of the books uh, we've, we're looking at, we, every month we have a, a book group, and uh, some months we read the book, um, and, uh, and then we come together and we talk about it. And the one we were talking about on Wednesday was this called The Good and Beautiful Life by Jamie Smith. This is your copy. Um, and um, just a really simple, straightforward way of thinking about actually what does it mean to follow Jesus in our everyday life in ways that really do make a difference. And I would recommend that as if you're interested in thinking it through a little bit more, just a really down-to-earth way. 
But one of the things that he was referring to and one of the things that we talked about on Wednesday was this idea of where, so how do you change? And often in Christian context, in my context, often I'll come to something like this and I'll, then I'll listen, I'll go, right, I'm going to go home, I'm going to really try hard. I'm going to try hard to be different. I'm not going to say those things that I normally say. I'm not going to react in the ways I normally react. I'm going to try really, really hard. And the analogy that they're building on is this. I'm going to use Ian as my uh, exhibit A. As we all know, Ian is at the pinnacle of his life. He's uh, young. He's in his early 30s. He is healthy. He is clearly not overweight. And... um, (laughs) He probably, and this is not good news because this morning he's quite tired, but he probably will have never have more energy than he has this morning. You might as well finish it now, mate. It's, uh, it's all over. That's it, yeah. So he's, 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 he's healthy. You look at him and you go, there's a healthy man. Now, if... No, I know. And, and I realized as I was saying that, that actually I was speaking by faith, really. But here's the thing. We could say to Ian, okay, Ian, uh, tomorrow, half term, he's off tomorrow, uh, we're gonna, we'd like you to do a marathon tomorrow because you're young, you're at the prime of your life, and uh, we'd like you to do the marathon. And uh, Ian may well say, I'm not ready. I have not run further than... <laughs> the toilet. <laughs> it's not what I was thinking, but there we are. And, uh, and therefore, uh, clearly not prepared. But we would say, actually, though, well, you look like, cause, so could you just try? Now, he could go, and because actually we all know about Ian, if he's got something planned, he does it and he perseveres and he's, he's not a shirker, he will actually keep on keeping on. This is one of his great qualities. No matter how difficult things are, he will continue. However, just trying harder will not work for him tomorrow in the marathon. He would get to five miles, perhaps, maybe 10. And then someone could come alongside him and say, you can do it, just try harder. But actually, eventually, there's a moment where just trying harder is not enough. If he wants to do a marathon, he can't do it tomorrow. He can do it in six months' time if he trains for it. Because there's nothing about a marathon, 26 miles, which is not a natural length of distance to run for anybody, but there's nothing to stop him doing it if he trains for six months. He will do it. He may not be a natural athlete. (laughs) It's unfair now. It's unfair. He looks like a javelin, but he's not a natural athlete. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to stop now. Don't worry, Amanda. But he could do it in six months, but he'd have to train. And that's the point of all of this. The spirit who reminds us, who speaks those words of Abba, Father, the spirit who gives us the mind of Christ, then the opportunity comes as you follow Jesus, you then train yourself. This is what Paul says to Timothy. You train yourself in godliness. You don't try harder just to be good, but actually you train yourself. 
You train yourself with your natural reactions. You train your mouth. You train your actions. In the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about some of the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of fasting, of giving, of being generous. You don't try harder to be generous, you train yourself to be generous. You don't try harder to pray, you train yourself to pray. You train in the context of the life you live, and the mind of Christ becomes the dominant uh, the, the dominant feature, the dominant way of responding to the world around us. You can't try harder to be godly, and nor can you simply keep rules. Actually, the Spirit says, what I want you to do is to lean into the mind of Christ that has been given to you. The moment you surrendered to Christ was the moment you became new. If anyone's in, in Christ, all things are new. New creation. Not the old house that you want to keep going back to, but the renewed house. Not the blurred of uh, vision of life as you think it is, but actually the clarity of life as it really is. Not the old reactions, but the mind of Christ. The spirit who comes and lives within and says, change is possible. So this goes beyond asking for forgiveness. This goes beyond that moment where you go, I've messed up again, forgive me. This actually goes beyond that, say, actually, I'm going to live a life that's in line with what God's already done. I'm going to live a life that actually reflects what the work of the Spirit is. We're going to pray together. In a moment or two, we'll sing a song, and it's got a line talking about, I choose to be holy, I want to be holy. <laughs> and it's a line that you can skirt over because it'll, the tune will, will sort of be lilting and so it'll take you past the thought. But actually, Lord, we want to thank you for what your spirit is committed to do. Lord, you know the frustration we feel about ourselves, the, the, the cycle of thinking and acting that often we find in our own lives is so destructive. Lord, we recognize that and we pray that, Lord, we might live into that newness that you have for us. The Spirit who has done the work of revealing Jesus to us so that we know we're forgiven and saved by grace. The Spirit who has done that work of enabling us to live a life that actually reflects Jesus because we have the mind of Christ. And Lord, some days it feels like that's too good to be imagined. And yet, that is the world that you call us into. Lord, we commit ourselves to training, to acting out that newness, that new life, to being your people for the sake of the world. Lord, may your spirit guide us and lead us, we pray. Come and fill us. I pray for those this morning who need to hear that again, that, uh, that God is our Abba Father, the one who comes close and draws us close to him. 
the one who forgives, the one who renews. Lord, for those of us who get tempted to live in the old house, Lord, may we see the glory of the possibility of a new life, a new house. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Just come and rest on us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Let me just take a moment or two for you to actually just uh, to do that, to just to welcome the Spirit who comes and reminds us and speaks. And, and at this stage, just for yourself, what is God wanting to remind you? Where are the defenses that need to come down? Where are the patterns that need to change? Come, Holy Spirit.